for me, I think one of the most regretful things that happened with Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper was that he called it Bitcoin, which just immediately suggests currency. And I do think the applications are much, much far wider ranging than that. We can ascribe value to so many things. And I do think that's what we can achieve through. Bitcoin and blockchain are different things. You can have blockchain without the Bitcoin. You can have blockchain that has nothing to do with money, but the use cases are potentially just massive and impactful in totally different ways. And some of it's financially related, but the layer impacts are huge, for example. Hello, I'm Samia Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Inveed. In today's episode, I speak with Rumi Morales, a partner and board member at Outlier Ventures, the powerhouse behind the world's most active Web3 accelerator. Joining me as co-host is Sadie Rainey, the CEO and co-founder of Strix Leviathan, and now also the co-founder and CEO of Eve Wealth, a digital asset investing platform focused on women. Rumi and Sadie bring their unique perspectives to the table, making this conversation not just informative, but also a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat, and I'm confident that you will find it both insightful and enjoyable. All right, so this is, a, this is going to be a great conversation between the three of us. Sadie, we have you here with your background in hedge funds and, and what you're building now with Eve. And of course, we have Rumi here and uh, from Outlier Ventures, and, and we have got quite a lot to talk about. So first things first, um, I'm going to uh, go to Rumi. You're, you're going to be our main guest here, and, and uh, Sadie is here to help me uh, with more questions uh, from a crypto perspective and, and um, you know, co-host this. But my, my first question to you, Rumi, is uh, let's let's start by talking a little bit about how was your 2023 <laughs> that, that would be a good place to start how was my 2023 you know i am um, i'm really grateful for 2023 right i think it was a good year of recovery and self-reflection especially for those of us who've been in the crypto and blockchain space um hopefully it helped us kind of prioritize what really is um why, why we're here why, why we continue to be here and what we're trying to do in 2024. So I was working at Digital Currency Group in DCG in 2022. And without going into all those gory details, you can uh, um, uh, you can guess what that experience was like uh, when things really did become challenging. So I left DCG earlier in 20 uh, of this year. Um, and honestly, though, this has been part of a 10 year journey, journey for me in crypto and blockchain. I first started in 2013. Um, so I don't know. I was also just putting it all in perspective. Like we have, we have these ups and downs and I'm actually re really feeling positive about the near. I'm grateful for 2023 because it kind of reset us, um, the industry, and hopefully a lot of us as individuals thinking about why, why we continue to pursue this space. So as I was telling you just before I press record here, um, the way that I treat these conversations is a little bit like therapy for myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as a founder, you know, it's quite, uh, lonely being in this space um, by yourself when uh, everybody is um, feeling quite down. It was like it started out really heavy this year, and now we're things are looking brighter. There's like light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of the tunnel. So, um, Sadie, how about you? Uh, what was what was twenty three uh, for you? What was it like for you? 
So for, for us, it was a little bit of a reprieve because things, things were boring in the markets, but at the same time, boring meant building. So in, in, from a trading perspective, it was, it was boring and frustrating, but from an actual building perspective, it was really, really nice to sort of have a breath of fresh air, but you know, this, this fourth quarter has been absolutely fantastic. It's fun to see people get excited again. You know, it's always interesting to me. Nobody wants to talk about Bitcoin when it's at 15,000, but suddenly it's at 40 and everybody wants to buy it. But um, I'd actually love to hear Rumi's thoughts on, um, you've been in this 10 year, over a decade now. So, you know, when you entered, it was Mt. Gox and, you know, Mt. Gox was like the end of crypto and all things crypto. And, and I feel like, I guess I'm kind of curious, do you feel like the FTX issue and debacle has put Mt. Gox sort of behind us? I, I mean, I don't really see many references to it anymore. Is is FTX the new Mt. Gox or how do you think that the market reaction to this is different than the Mt. Gox? I think, and it's funny, it was so many when you said this, this can be a lonely place. I actually feel it's uh it's much busier and much friendlier than it was in that Mt. Gox era when you had that crash. And yeah, I did get into crypto prior to Mt. Gox. Um, and it was only like a few people knew what in the world you were speaking about, if at all. So it's like, who do I even talk to about this in my company, for example? And then when the first crypto winter happened in you know 2019-ish, I remember that. I remember it was December, just like it's December now, but how lonely that was because it was like I couldn't talk to my family about it. Like the people in my company may may have known at that point, but at Christmas and the holidays, like nobody understood what I was upset about. Once FTX happened, I think most people, including your family, at least has heard of it. So it's a little bit less lonely in that regard. Although, yeah, we keep on kind of repeating our crypto history in, in some ways. But I do think the, the there was there will always be a story. Sadly, I think there will be another one in the future as well. And somebody may say, "Oh, is this the new FTX?" But all I can say is, in my darkest moment of this, you know, this past year ish. So when you know Bitcoin fell down to what was it, fourteen, fifteen k at its lowest, I remember when everyone was celebrating when it was ten k. I remember my dirty little secret was buying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going to be public, but I'll say it anyways. Okay. So I bought Bitcoin at $300 and when it became a thousand, I'm like, oh, that's done. Oh my God, this is ridiculous. So I sold a lot of Bitcoin at $1,000 because that was a lot. <laughs> what so did for, you buy? What did you buy with that money? Do you remember? Even? You know, I think just stupid. No, I don't know. You know? It's it's not it's not even it can't even be mythical like those pizzas or anything. It's just <laughs> who knows. Like I I entered the industry when we would go to these conferences and people would just hand out Bitcoin to each other like on these cards to try to get you get into it. I used to give those cards back out to people as well. Again, some of those things like I oh, I should have saved it. But on the other hand, my longevity in this industry is because I actually don't care about. This sounds again terrible. I can't believe I'm saying this publicly. I don't care about getting rich off of this and rich only would really like to help change this world, to help build companies, to help improve our financial system. So that's why I think I'm kind of tolerating this and whatever future FTX there will be again, I'll tolerate that too, because I do think this, this journey is worth it. That's super interesting. Actually, on that note, I have a question. There's two schools of thought 
when it comes to um, this Web3 crypto thing, uh, there's a school of thought that says basically the, the real application of this is only for money and everything else, we are forcing it to be, be a, a use case for it. Um, so with like things like NFTs and, and ticketing and all the other things that we are thinking about trying to, you know, reward systems and all that stuff. Um, the other uh, school of thought is that, no, this is uh, global and it can be used for anything and everything from gaming to, you know, all sorts of creating various experiences. So um, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. You know, I was very much on the second camp of thinking that this could be used for anything and everything. I was, uh, I was in particular very happy about like how this could have been used for, um, you know, creating um, changes in behaviors in, in, in uh, society for things like, you know, recycling and, you know, circular economy and like green, uh, uh, greener living, all, all sorts of things, like even things like, you know, knowing for sure that the the provenance of the, your food or whatever you wear, you know, I, I, I could see uh, all of these things being the use cases. However, I, I've had some difficult experiences in, in Web3 as well, which makes me think maybe this is really just financial because, because it seems to me that uh, quite a lot of the culture has been built around the financial uh, aspect of it. So I'd love to hear maybe both of your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I'm happy to start, but Sadie, I know you're so smart on issues like this. Um, for, for me, I think one of the most regretful things that happened with Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper was that he called it Bitcoin, a coin, right? Which just immediately suggests currency. Mm. When I do think the applications are much, much far wider ranging than that. You know, if you think about the internet and that really being a the peer-to-peer -peer transmission of information, or it's how, it's how people uh, would interact with it online on, on, on the web or sending emails, we've just moved to the peer-to-peer -peer transmission of value. So for, yes, for some people it's financial value, but we can ascribe value to so many things. And I do think that's what we can achieve through blockchain and the continued evolution of this space. So I, I'm definitely more the type that it's not, it's not just a <clears throat> financial technology, but from its outset, kind of being called a, you know, a peer-to-peer -peer payment system and being called a coin, people saw it as such. Um, but you know, at Outlier Ventures, where I'm currently a partner and a board member, we are definitely exploring and investing in so many different use cases outside of just financial services and big believers in broader web three and what we can be doing with more, um, you know, use cases and things like gaming and music and entertainment um, and so on and so forth. Sadie, I'm sure you've got some, some thoughts here too. So I, I think I'm firmly in the second camp still there. I mean, there's definitely days when I go back to the first camp and I'm a little bit sad about the state of things, but you know, the financial use case I think is powerful, but I, I truly think that the blockchain use case is still really, really promising. And that's actually what I get really excited about because it can change the world if we get it right. And when I, whenever I start talking to somebody who's really new to crypto, the first thing I focus on is Bitcoin and blockchain are different things. You can have blockchain without the Bitcoin. You can have blockchain that has nothing to do with money and talk talk to people about what a blockchain is versus what 
the coinness. So I, I I love your comment about the mistake of naming it Bitcoin because immediately everyone just thinks blockchain equals money, but the use cases are potentially just massive and impactful in totally different ways. And some of it's financially related, but but the layer impacts are huge. For example, carbon credit markets and carbon credit offsets. And that's an area that I'd love to spend more time researching and you know, figuring out, you know, are these working and how are they being used? And, you know, these are financial tools that are supposed to be having a real massive real world impact, but are they really having a real world impact? And, you know, if we were moving things more to to a blockchain based system, then we would have more visibility into it. But then there's completely non-financial applications that have to do with food safety and, you know, not even just provenance, because I know those are kind of the fun use cases, like being able to know when you're drinking a Starbucks, where the beans came from, like, that's fun. I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't be sad about those kinds of use cases because they make life fun. But at the same time, when there's food safety involved or um, I was just reading an article recently about uh, eye drop solution that was being made in a factory that was completely unsanitary and people getting all these eye infections and it turned out that there was just faked test results in the system and and I immediately thought you know if if some of these systems could actually be worked out on a blockchain think about the health impacts of the global population um so firmly in camp two but also I always I always uh say to people that we're a long ways away from seeing any of these many of these use cases actually be implemented, but I, I do think that they, they have promise. So when you say uh, we are a long ways away, uh, how long are you are you thinking? Um, I, I'd love to hear from both of you. What, what's your thoughts on like how far do you think that we are from um, seeing these use cases in real re- real life? And the reason why I asked that is, you know, like in it was in September, I went to the All In uh, Summit and um, you know there were a lot of, um, of investors there, and I was talking to people. I remember like, I, I, I when I talked to Jason Calacanis, you know, and uh, he said, "So what are you doing? What are you building?" And I said, "Like this, I started out as Web three, and now we are kind of broadening it as." That. And he was like, "By the time I, I I was like about to say, and we are broadening it, I didn't get to that. Just that we started out in Web three." He was like. Oh, don't talk to me about Web three. <laughs> you know, and people were like, "Oh my god!" And they were like, "Words like Solana, EVM compatible. Like these are like swear words. Like don't even mention them." <laughs> I bet they're not thinking that now that the prices are going up. But um, yeah, so like there's this, uh, you know. And when I was talking about it being lonely, like being. There's this isolation of, uh, I feel like there's a sense of isolation of us us thinking that there are all these, um, you know, world changing applications. And it seems like it's just us thinking that. Um, So like how how long before we see, um, you know, just application beyond number go up? So maybe Rumi, you, you can tell me what you think on that. Well, I'm happy to answer this across kind of a spectrum, which is we have the (laughs) <laughs> the best use case, which has been the use case for quite a long time and successfully so, which is Bitcoin itself, right? People are accepting payments and transacting with Bitcoin um, and they have been for years. So part of me says like, ding, 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 like we already won, like we, we, we've proven this. On the far other end of the spectrum, the answer is never. 
Why? Because I'm not, sometimes I'm not sure if decentralization is a human need at all or tendency. Like you think like for millennia, we've organized ourselves. We, we, people have chosen, right, to be in empires or tribes or colonies. Like we, we naturally, I think, have not felt this need to everyone be decentralized. We haven't created systems this way in our history. What we're trying to do now with decentralized networks is say, oh, yeah, rather than having a big centralized tech company like Facebook, let's have a decentralized, like decentralized social network. Do people want that? Is is that innately part of who we are? It's almost a philosophical question going into like why we're human beings at all. So part of me is saying never because I don't think that we're organized to be decentralized. And yet, if you look at the immediate usage of of Bitcoin, and like I was saying before, the peer-to-peer transmission of value, there is so much that's valuable to us. So I do see between, (laughs) it's already happened and never, within, uh, within, I would say, uh, definitely, you know, in in the next five to 10 years, it'll be far more commonplace for us uh, to be using a wide range of decentralized applications. Um, I don't know if decentralization is the final endpoint. Interesting. Nature is decentralized. When you think about it, you know, something like the the planet is decentralized. The way that the weather system, the the way that that nature organizes itself is decentralized. So so it could be that, you know, maybe um, as humans, because of the technology that we created, Actually, the technology is the thing that is enabling centralization, but but nature itself is decentralized. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it can get really, really trippy, really fast. I guess. I mean, I mean, what what I, it, it's definitely something that I sadly um, or, or I geek out about in my own head sometimes. Because don't get me wrong, like I've I've devoted my life to this industry certainly for the past decade. I'm not saying that I'm I'm in here as some type of fool's errand, but I do, I suppose, want to stress the point that even if perhaps decentralization is our is nature's way, um, it's not the way corporations are structured today. It's not the way businesses are happening. And if we really want to see the blockchain-based economy take off, it's going to require a massive mindset shift amongst the general population and to know that they actually have power over their own identity and their own data and their own um, information in ways that they're not accustomed to and the businesses are not currently set up for. And that's why I think it's going to actually take a long time. It's just that we've been doing business in a certain way, in a very centralized way, for decades. And it's going to take some time to undo or to work with. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Any thoughts on that, um, Sadie? So I, I think I think it's going to be a never-ending cycle. And so kind of a similar answer, but with from a different perspective. I just think human beings are always on a pendulum, and we're always swinging from one extreme to the other. You know, from early civilizations living together to suddenly spreading or to being nomadic, you know, hunters and gatherers to suddenly building cities. And human beings just have a really bad ability to predict the outcome of what we decide collectively and all the consequences that we suffer from it. I mean, all the aggressive pushing to stop using paper because we were killing trees, which was bad for the environment. I 
strongly believe that ended up with a massive amount of plastic suddenly be, being introduced into the globe. And now we have continents of plastic floating in the ocean and trees are still being cut down. And, and you know, it's we just haven't been able to really figure that part out, but we go extreme in one direction and suddenly we create these other problems. Same thing with centralization, you know, the big IBM computers and, you know, being in the, the heart and the brain of a company and was centralization. And now we've swung, we're trying to swing aggressively in the other direction. And I think human beings just don't go to know how to get out of their own way. And so we, we create problems for ourselves, then we solve them or we think we're solving them and then the goalpost moves. So I'm always excited to see how we fix things, but at the same time, it's always really interesting to see the new problems that we create. So it's a never ending cycle of having to innovate half the time just to fix the stuff that we screwed up. Yeah, 100%. And you know, the, uh, when I look at, um, currently we have 3,500 startups in our ecosystem and about 600 VCs. Out of the 600 VCs, about 240 or 50 or so have filled out our um, survey. So we know exactly which areas they focus uh, focus on. Um, we know their thesis, basically. And then um, out of the 3,500 startups, about 900 have filled out our survey. So I wanted to ask you this question. What area do you think that um, the most startups that come in are um, building in? Play finance. Is that, the, is that an answer? <laughs> uh, finance. Um, Financial services. Financial or, services. Okay, that's interesting. And what do you think, Saidi? I want to say AI because I feel like it's just everywhere I turn right now, everybody's using AI, but I kind of feel like that's a blanket statement and a lot of people who are claiming AI aren't really building an AI. I think you'd be surprised. Like uh, of the startups that are coming in, um, and in specifically the ones, especially the ones that are upgrading uh, to like a premium membership on our platform. Uh, I'm like looking at the numbers here, uh, about seven out of 10 are Web3. That's so interesting. Web3 crypto, like something to do with tokenization. People are, I mean, from a building point of view, that's a very high number when you think about it, because this is nothing to do with the fact that we used to be a Web3 platform. This is this this data is outside of our Web3 data. It's literally from uh, all these different places. It's just so basically so many people are thinking in new ways about building things that they see an opportunity to use tokens and tokenization. Um, to uh, to approach things in a different way, and it's and these are not all fintech. They're like they're, you know they're very very different things. It can be gaming. It can be you know um, uh, some some of the uh, the other things that they're that people are building are just like a really variety of of type of things that they're building that they see a way to. They don't even use the word Web three. This is this is interesting. A lot of them are not using the word Web three because they're so afraid of using it. So, but when when I go, sometimes I, it's so not not obvious that it's is Web three and and uh, and um, crypto. It's only under the hood. As I go deeper to this, then, then I'm like, oh, so this is Web three, <laughs> you know. And, and and so that's interesting. Now I'll ask you another question: of the VCs, the 220 or 30, 40, or whatever VCs that have filled out our our form, what what industry do you think the most investors are saying that they want to invest in 
That's funny. I mean, it's, it's funny how you said people don't want to use the word Web3. I use the word finance for a reason, mm -hmm. right? That this you can you can throw it in as a catch-all token and tokenization in there, right? Because yeah. uh, thinking about Web Web3 and what it means to have a token, you really are talking about changing the nature of financial services going forward. So that was my own personal hedge. That's funny. That, that, that did, Yeah, you did really well. Yeah, in there. I would assume that all VCs just want to invest in AI right now. That's my guess for them. No, well, I mean, AI is across the board. In it, People are real. Nobody's saying that they only invest in like people are not even like, AI is not really an industry because it's like to, to say that you invest in AI is like to say that I invest in Internet. So it doesn't even count really as an industry. Say what's your 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 guess? I would have said AI, but kind of repeating what I already said, where I feel like it's a blanket statement where people say we're we're an AI company, and then you look at it and you're like, no, you're a SaaS, you're a retail, yeah, retail SaaS company. So that's the area that I'm seeing over and over is climate tech, and I have not a single climate tech startup that has, um, you know, that has become a premium member on our. Well, we have one. It's not quite climate tech, you know, they, they like to be cli climate tech, but they're not. I don't think they're, I think they're far from being, but yeah, this is like, but um, there's a discrepancy between what people want to build and what people want to invest in. I, I have too many climate tech investors, uh, just too many. And, and if there was a way maybe that we could use uh, Web3 to solve climate tech, Perfect. That would be the perfect marriage. <laughs> yeah, but 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 a lot of those climate tech startups don't necessarily, they don't like necessarily the blockchain, it, because we see things from a bird eye, bird eye perspective, um, from where we are. We see both the startups and the and the VCs, and there are too many funds um, spending a lot of money on climate tech. And um, and I'm sure that they are doing a great job of attracting climate tech startups. But but from a, a viewpoint of where we stand, where basically we are getting a combination of lots of different things coming to us, we are not really getting that many climate tech startups. So so why is it? Why do you think it is? You know, you come from a a um, VC perspective, uh, Rumi. Yeah. Why do you think? There's not enough. Look, I, I'm just I'm struggling to get enough VCs to invest in Web3 startups because we have so many Web3 startups. I think this is something that's always been very challenging for the crypto and blockchain space for years. So how do you explain? How do you explain it? What it what is what is what is like the one obvious problem that's being solved here? Climate tech, it's easy. Right, you want to you want to stop climate change, and I think th there's no question anyone who steps outside in 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 any season these days feels that it's it feels different than it used to. It's either too hot, right, or too volatile. So I I have to assume that these VCs are not just themselves the ones that are out there, but they have LPs who have certain ESG mandates, and they also feel like they the climate needs to be part of that. I'm sure LPs don't feel like, hmm, I need to have Web3 as part of my investment mandate. Maybe if they were they had more education around the, the use cases and the applications towards things like climate change, then that would be different. Crypto has always suffered from a messaging problem. It's always suffered, I think, from being able to tell its story succinctly and emotionally in a way that people understand the purpose that it serves. And unfortunately, over the years, you know, you've had uh, messengers um, who've gone to jail, right, instead of people who really ended up in leadership places of, of 
influence in the halls of, of government and business and other and 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 elsewhere. So that that's that's my feeling there. It's just how how do we how do we put Web three in a bullet point that someone understands there's an urgent problem to be fixed? Yeah, we definitely have a PR problem. We have a big PR problem. And speaking of PR problem, you know, one of the um, experiences that I've had just as we are recording this this week, you know, is uh, and I mentioned to you earlier is, is um, the problem of lack of accountability on how people behave in this space, which is not helping the image and that we are um, portraying, right? Um, on the uh, before we go there, and I want to talk about women in blockchain and all that stuff, but but before we go there, one of the problems I'm, I'm seeing here is that it, in some ways, um, the media has successfully put blockchain into a category that is deemed to be against ESG and, and against, you know, all the things that we are trying to fix with the climate. So there's just so much money going into climate tech. I mean, I, I need to look at PitchBook to see exactly what the difference is, but I, I, I can see from the number of VCs that are filling out that form, you know, the, that like you say, must be that their LPs are putting pressure or they're, you know, they're like, okay, they're, they're more open to writing a check for a climate tech startup. And like, sometimes I think maybe I'm in the wrong business, you know, I, I just can't, can't quite figure out a way to solve the, the climate. But, you know, uh, I, I just, I think um, there's there's definitely, we are having a, 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 um, a problem there in terms of PR. Um, I say, do you have any thoughts on that before we move to the other uh, cultural aspects of Web3? On the energy usage, yeah, yeah is- and and like and and all this idea of why you know, why we are not getting more funds going into Web three for some reason people love to build in Web three and they are looking for money to build and uh, well one of the biggest problems of course is monetization models are not quite um, clear right now you know a lot of the monetization model was built around web uh, around NFTs. And we monetized uh, in 2021, 2022 with, with NFTs, but we found that it's extremely difficult to build a sustainable model around NFTs because there's this concept of you own the token and then when you own the token, um, then uh, there's no control. Uh, there's, there's no way that the, the founders can have any control over it. And then people didn't want to also pay um, uh, royalty and like there wasn't really a way to to build a recurring revenue around it um and that was a big problem um i think we, that problem is not solved uh, i don't know um, I, I really want to kind of delve deeper into this uh concept of um revenue models and how we're going to solve that um because i think web3 definitely has a problem in creating some kind of recurring revenue model yeah so so on the esg topic that's one that i you know one of these days i would just love to have like a university just devote an entire statistics and data modeling team to to answering this question in the way that i want to see it like i want to look i want somebody to, to measure how much it costs to print money globally just like from tractors out there ripping down trees and making them into paper and the mint using metals and 
you know, half the number of pennies that, that it costs more to make a penny than a penny is worth. And, but we continue to have the system and then taking every bank branch in the entire world and how much energy it consumes just to be open, you know, five or six days a week. And tell me what the energy usage is of fiat currency versus, you know, crypto and crypto, it's mined and it's intensive, but it's mined and then it, there it is. Um, so you create it in, you know, Bitcoin, you create it every 10 minutes, whereas how long does it take to actually make a penny or a dollar bill? I'd love somebody to answer that question. It's un unanswerable, but still, you know, crypto is at least trying to fix that problem. Crypto is at least trying to figure out new ways for consensus to reduce energy usage. And the more that, you know, mining equipment gets sophisticated, the more it gets improved, the less it's going to take energy wise. And I think crypto is actually trying to solve, the pro solve that problem. I don't think fiat is. So that aside, I try, that's the argument I make every time somebody tries to take me to task on, on the energy usage of crypto. But, and the other topic is why aren't people getting funded? So I, I talk to a lot of startups uh, and, you know, I, I'm like the de facto person for everyone I know who has a friend that wants to start a new Web3 or crypto company that, oh, you got to talk to Sadie. She started a few. She can help you. And I think people get excited about crypto. They get deep into learning about blockchain. And then there's this this romanticized libertarian notion of you know, big money and VCs being the devil and the bad guys. So then suddenly people, you know, we had the ICO craze, which was the way people were trying to fund without taking angel or VC money that clearly did not go well. Um, so I, I think it there's almost like a anti VC, anti angel mindset sometimes, which makes almost makes it antagonistic where we're just going to build and we're not going to go take VC money. And, you know, and when those VCs, when they do talk to those VCs and the VCs say, you know, you don't have a revenue model <laughs> or what is your revenue model? What's your CAC? How are you going to build this? What's your roadmap and your headcount plan? You know, it, it's almost adversarial and um, not, you know, not everyone, but I, I do see that a lot. And, you know, those are the questions that they need to be asking themselves. And you're right. So many of these projects are super interesting, but they don't have great revenue potential. And a lot of times people will tell me, oh, my friends, you know, I've talked to all my friends and they all love this idea. And I always ask my question back to them is always, have you asked them how much they'd pay you for your idea? And they always kind of look at me and and I say, everyone everyone's going to love and support you. They're your friends. They're your network. They're going to love and support you. But are they going to give you money for what you're building? That is what you actually need to ask them. And that, you know, that kind of goes against that builder mindset, but that's what you need to be thinking like if you're going to get funded. Yeah, let's talk, dive a little bit deeper into that, Rumi, because a lot of people uh, who listen to this are builders. Um, you know, the majority of our audience are builders. So t can you talk to me a little bit about how you guys um, at Outlier Ventures are looking at, um, you know, revenue models for Web3 uh, companies. You know, for us, we, we switched to a, a normal Web2 subscription model. Um, you know, we have like, we're bringing on board service partners um, that want to uh, get access to our 
ecosystem of VCs and startups. And we are also going to create a GPLP network soon in, in the next in quarter three, four of, of next year with a documentary we're working on on Saudi and all that stuff. But um, so I, I switched away from, you know, I couldn't figure it out other than the NFT model. Um, but then with the NFT model, I couldn't figure out how to um, create rev recurring revenue. So so uh, unless unless there the, there is more and more people coming into the space so that you can keep selling more NFTs. But the problem is that even then, um, it's hard to uh, sell new NFTs when the people who already have it look at that as an event because the price goes up and then the, they want to sell it. So the price goes down and it's just really hard to keep that balance. So I couldn't, I, I admit defeat. I couldn't figure out how to monetize in Web3 and, and I went back to a Web2 business model. Even though our platform is fully token gateable, it's EVM compatible, we are going to make it Solana compatible as well. But in terms of revenue, we are sticking to because I would just go out of business. I literally, I had to pay my developers, right? I, I just couldn't figure out how to monetize. So what are some of the best monetization models, um, Rumi, that at Outlier Ventures, you guys are looking at these Web3 startups, you know, and thinking, like, what, what's, what are some of the ideal uh, um, revenue models? It's a great question. And I, 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 I would say that, you know, overall, you know, Outlier is a, it's an accelerator. Um, we, we have around almost 300 companies at this point that have gone through one of our cohorts. So there isn't necessarily a one one solution. You know, this is a new industry, as we all know, and there are different ways of, of approaching it. And some of the things that we do at Outliers, you know, we partner with different um, protocols. Like we, we, we've worked with Polygon, for example. We've worked with Near and Aptos um, and developing uh, and working with companies that are developing within those ecosystems. But we've also partnered with Walmart. And you, you have to imagine that Walmart's looking for solutions that might be more quote unquote traditional in terms of having a, a revenue uh, a, a revenue mindset versus a, a network growth and incentivization goal. So I think as, as we're looking at different companies that are either focusing across different protocols or looking to work with more traditional institutions, be they on the on the finance side or the consumer side, there are going to be different di different experiments and different success stories along the way. I'm not answering your question properly because it's just, it is definitely a challenge for everyone. Even if if you're not in Web three, the pathway to um, revenue, the pathway to profitability is hard for any young startup, but it is even more so in Web three because there are different ways to go about it. Whether you're trying to just grow through your token token value and incentivization, or you are actually looking to have recurring revenue um, in, in within, within the Web3 space. I think it really depends ultimately on who your partners are and who your traditional um, target markets versus new target markets may be. So again, if you're working um, with Walmart, that'll be different than if you were just working with a completely virtual uh, brand that might be in the metaverse. So uh, when when you work with um, these startups, do you only have the accelerator side or do you also invest in like say seed stage uh, startups as well? Well, there's a there's a what I would call like a graduate program at, at Outlier called Ascent. So if you think about um, our, our base camp program, it's almost like getting your undergraduate college education where you get like the full assistance across um, 
marketing and finance and legal and community building and pitch development and all that sort of stuff. Ascent really is focusing more on uh, the token launch, right? So it's like going to graduate school where you've got a particular aim and you want to make sure that it becomes successful that way. So Outlier will also participate um, in the Ascent uh, the Ascent round, but again, we're not we're not structured like a traditional venture firm would be. That said, we've got a wide uh, range of uh, networks and established um, established relationships with a number of VCs. And obviously, we wouldn't be a good accelerator if we didn't make sure that our companies that went through our program got funded at the end of it. Super interesting. So, and the uh, companies that you work with, how long is the is the program? Um, I am not the best person to give you the best answer right now. I, I think there's usually around six six week programs, okay. but um, you know, we're always trying to develop with the market. Um, the next programs that we're launching in January, there's going to be a Futureverse program, Wormhole, and a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin base cap, actually. So um, and each one has its own program managers, and they go through their own experience together in a cohort. So the core is uh, that uh, it, there's always going to be a token, right? So is, is that how you think about it? That's a great question. You know, I've been at Outlier for five and a half-ish years. And what I've admired about Outlier throughout all this time is we have we have always kept our true north. And it is based on tokens and tokenization, whether there has been a fallout in favor, whether it was the ICO um, bust that happened that we went through or you know, this this recent crypto winter as well. I don't think we've ever deviated from our from our view that tokens are going to be absolutely fundamental um, to businesses. And yeah, so there 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 will always be token components. Although you know we have invested in equity in the past, um, I, and I say this less as outlier now and just as a as a VC investor. Like I I can't personally imagine signing on to. Um, uh, signing a term sheet without token warrants if it's just an equity deal if i'm thinking of the future yeah so do you see when when you think about the future you know how do you imagine it um you know in a world where there's so many tokens and so many products that we use so for example right now let's say maybe if i look at all of the different products that I use both in my personal life and in my business life, maybe the total of it comes to maybe around five to a, 500 to a thousand different products, right? So all of the different websites that I'm logged into. So I probably the best way to look at that would be go to my dash lane, you know, where I have all my passwords and all of the different companies that I'm, that I, at some point in a month or in a year, I log into from the pharmacy to like where I get my supplements to get my where I get my clothes. So do you imagine that in the future, the world that it will be like that, that each person maybe uses a thousand different um, tokens? Is that how you're thinking? You know, because if every company has to have a token, there, is that how it's going to look like? I'm just trying to imagine what envision it. I think it'd be incredibly hard for anyone to manage, <laughs> think about all the exactly. apps. That That's what I'm thinking. You right? have on your phone. You probably don't even use all of them either. There's just a few key ones that you return to do the day, but you're not deleting all those apps on your phone. You keep them for a reason. Whatever has value to you, you will use. And I think it's incumbent for any you know tokenized based business 
to create value for their customer and think about how they want to be one of those top five, top 10 that any individual may may find important to them. And, the and thing the, about the, the apps though is that there's there's the the thing that brings all of these apps together is that I can pay with dollar on all of them or or pound or whatever it is, right? I can I can use one currency to pay. But if I had to, if for each app I had to have their token and their tokens could not be translatable to each other, you know, that that could become very difficult. Can you see what I'm trying to understand about the yeah. Inter- interoperability has always been a, a massive yeah. issue. issue Private, yeah. you know, identity. You know, they, they, there are some holy grail issues in the blockchain space that builders have been trying to solve for for I think for a long time. So I don't think that this level of complexity and lack of efficiency is gonna is it's gonna continue for the longest term. It can't. Uh, it just there. It makes no sense that anyone would want to use uh, crypto if it continues to be this unwieldy in its way. But again, this is the pathway to decentralization. It is so much easier to centralize things and think about it, but then you've given away your rights. You've given away your data. So again, part of the mindset shift for all of us is to take some responsibility and personal accountability um, to know what's truly of value to us and own it ourselves. When I look at, you know, and, and Sadie, I want to come to you and ask you what whether you're tokenizing Eve and, and how you're thinking about it. But um, when I think about all these different blockchains that don't talk to each other, I mean, there's like Solana people live in a different world, different planet, and then Ethereum, EVM compatible, you know, kind of blockchains. And and then there's Near and there's all these other different, different things. So... I, like you say, you know, uh, interoperability has been a big, um, uh, big issue. But um, yeah, I, this is one of the things that makes me think that maybe Web three is not quite ready. But but um, for it's not quite ready for prime time. But for people who have got the stamina and and the interest and and the time to uh, dedicate to build in it and go through this, these growing pains, it can be quite lucrative as long as we can last long enough to do that. And, and that comes to, that's where I think VCs come in and it's, it becomes so important you know, to have VCs that have got that long-term vision and, and also their LPs, you know, that have got that long-term vision to think, you know, we, it's going to take time to figure this out. Um, so uh, Sadie, are you guys going to be tokenizing Eve? Or how how do you think about it? So I don't have a good answer for that yet today. Um, I, I will say uh, I'm with Rumi that tokenization is definitely needs to be a key component of most projects that that are in the space, and I think that's also a component that's lacking in a lot of them. So I was actually going to ask Rumi because she sees a lot more. Uh, breadth of deals and startups and opportunities, especially focus on tokenization. So what is the what is the use case for tokenization in a project that you get the most excited about or the one that when you see the summary, you, you know, you drill down and you want to see more like what it or what are a few of the use cases that are just the most interesting and exciting that you're seeing? I, I guess for, for me, I, I like to think of as, as a token as just part of the 
it's as a given, right? And it shouldn't be a novelty anymore. It shouldn't be like, oh, we've got a token. Aren't we special? It's kind of like saying, oh, we're using AI and now we're special. It's like, no, it just should be part and parcel of everything that you do anyways. So for me, it's less about, oh, what type of token do you have and what are the tokenomics of it? Um, I'm, again, I'm speaking I'm speaking personally here. I'm sure some of my colleagues at Outlier may have a very different view for me. But I just really want to understand, you know, the business that is being built. Again, a token should probably be uh, in a, a part of it because I do think it's it's interesting both for for fi- for financing reasons as well as for network incentivization. But ultimately, like I'm, I'm really just interested in in cool businesses doing interesting things. Uh, maybe because I've been in financial services for too long, you know, I've spent too many years at Goldman Sachs and the CME Group. I really like businesses that are not focusing on financial services. I get really excited around gaming, sports, entertainment, and fashion um, when it comes to Web3. But that's also because I've seen much faster institutional adoption of Web3 by, by companies that are in that space. Like still, I don't know if you saw, you know, when Jamie Dimon was speaking with Elizabeth Warren the other day, he's like, I hate, I hate Bitcoin. I'm like, man, you bankers, you know, it's been how long? And they're still kicking and screaming over crypto um, versus a lot of the more multimedia entertainment companies that have really tried to embrace Web3. I think it's because being able to constantly innovate and think about what's new and what's coming has to be part of their everyday reason to exist, right? If, if you're in, in that industry versus I think the financial services industry is, you know, it's more about preservation of things and less less eager to jump on, on things like Web3. So I get really excited, long answer, sorry. I get really excited I'm more on the consumer entertainment gaming side. Okay, so we talked about institutional, you know, investors and, and generally people coming in from, uh, bigger pockets, <laughs> you know, which we really need to bring into the space. Um, what are your predictions in terms of institutional adoption in 2024 uh, as we are going into this new year? Do you do you think that um, that institutions are going to come in and and uh, are they going to try and um, you know maybe uh, give more uh, education to their staff to their teams? Do you think this is going to be the year that they will? Because in 2021, we had that. Like We actually had Morgan Stanley as one of our first clients. And uh, they had a, a small number of um, team members, about 100 people that registered you know, to use the, the platform because we have a lot of um, educational content. But, um, but then that stopped you know, with everything that happened and, and, and the interest kind of went away. Do you think that that's, we are going to see more of that with uh, big companies coming in and wanting to actually train their staff? Because it's so interesting how little they know. I find this question fun to, to think about. And I, I, I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts too, Rumi. So I think the institutions are all coming already. I think, I mean, Jamie Dimon might be the exception, but um, you, you look at all these projects, you look at any almost any major financial institution in the United States, any institution when we talk about are the institutions coming and they're all hiring blockchain, they're all hiring digital asset people, they've, they've all got incubators, they, you know, some of them even already have their own coin, and they're already transacting on blockchain, in, you know, I was 
reading them yesterday, I think it was about a new exchange in Switzerland that's uh, working with BBVA Bank in Spain. And you know, th those are huge institutions and they're, they're already here. Uh, it's just, I think a lot of people look at the US and the market and what's happening with all the regulatory uncertainty. And so we're not, they're not here in the fact that liquidity is still really poor and it's really difficult to trade. And, you know, the volume of crypto transactions in the US is just minuscule in comparison to fiat transactions. But when it comes to like building, I feel like they've all been building and they're all here. It's just they haven't come into the market yet and there's a lot of debate about whether or not the etf decision if it's positive if that will sort of open the floodgates and be that that final approval that the institutions need to actually come into the market or not or maybe they'll wait but you know I, they are coming they've all built they've spent a lot of money being ready to capitalize on this technology it's whether it's this year it's hard to say, but I think we're starting to see it creep in. Um, we're just not seeing the actual trading volume impact of it yet in the markets. It's interesting. Um, when, when you work in a startup or even you're, you're VC, uh, you tend to forget that corporations innovate too. You always think, oh, these are big dinosaurs, but no, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of experimentation. They just may not necessarily ever talk about it in public. They're not going to issue a press release for every cool new thing that they might be doing in the blockchain space. But you have to believe that they are definitely working, hiring, building, continuously so. And um, you know, the, the the news articles that we do see, everything, you know, across different stable coins or different types of new trading, um, uh, you know, trading infrastructure that's being built utilizing blockchain technology. It's it's every single one of these is just fantastic. 10 years ago, I was in this space. It was like me, a couple other people and crickets in, 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 in corporate land. I was just looking online and I saw, you know, CME Bitcoin Futures has uh, $5.3 billion of, of open interest currently. I helped to develop that contract not too long ago, and it's already grown that much. Um, so I, I, am, I am very pleased, actually, um, with the continued uh, positive trajectory of institutional growth in this space. It may not be as fast as some people want or have expected, but it's happening. We're not going in reverse. So as a as a final question, uh, Rumi, you know, we have a lot of builders in the space, people who are thinking about, is this the year that I'm going to get funding? Is this the year that, um, you know, I'll, I'll be able to build in the space? What's your final words for uh, for builders in the space uh i hope it's not my very final word you know for today's um, podcast i mean today's for today's podcast. well i mean i i would just i would say this i mean you live once you're dead for a long time right if you want it go do it i mean and and and, and just and also know like i i don't know i just hope everyone has love in their life uh feels secure in their life I was just talking about this with some friends earlier today, like 2022 for all of this in crypto, it was really hard. 2019, 20 was, was really hard. Mount Gox is really hard. There's still, hello, like survivors like me who, who've been through it all. I think because I just have like a sense of, well, hopefully somebody loves me out there somewhere <laughs> and I, I'm secure in that. And then great, let's do it. 
let's do it. There, there's there's absolutely no reason. There's no reason to hold back. You don't want to have any any regrets. There's always going to be someone that supports you, even if it's just you. You you go ahead and support you. I I just feel like there there's no reason not to do it. There's absolutely no reason to pursue your passion. It's going to be so freaking hard. And chances are it may not be quote unquote successful, but you would have done it. And and you should be proud of that. And maybe one one final question because a lot of um people who come to us they're looking for funding. Um do you think it's better for um startups building in the web3 space to pursue VCs or do you think it's better for them to try and build a community and um, monetize through uh, say something like um uh NFTs or or uh, tokens in general? Yeah, it's it's an age-old question again. Sometimes something that doesn't even have to be just about Web three, right? I I will say this for for everyone who's considering working with a VC, I like to tell startups, you know, you want to if you're raising a round, for example, you want to assemble your Avengers. You know, you really want to bring in VCs that can be additive to your company and supplement areas where you might be weak. But if you just want money. And you're and you're willing to take it from anyone who just might throw it at you. I would say, don't do that, right? You really want to be able to supplement your growth not just with dollars, but with talent, with skills and experience. If you're going to be getting that talent, skills and experience from your community directly, that's wonderful. But if you but there could be some really fantastic VCs out there who know how to grow and scale businesses and are and exist to help you. That's who you want to surround yourself with. 100%. Okay, so Sadie, uh, from can you speak to that question from a um startup perspective that you've already built a successful uh a, a company exited. So now you're building another one and, and yeah, so can you talk to that question from a startup point of view and then I'll let both of you go because I know that I've kept you for overtime. Um well from a startup point of view, raising money is a painful soul crushing process you you just have to you have to know that you're gonna get lots of no's um but a lot of times the no's are are good no's i mean you don't want to fill your cap table with a bunch of investors who aren't going to be able to help you because in your seed round and your a round you know you need to build your product you need to you need to have investors that you can then use as sounding boards to make introductions, to tell you what you're doing wrong, to, you know, not every investor on your cap table obviously is going to give you that time. But if you don't have a couple or at least a core strategic group of investors who you can rely on, you're going to have to really do a lot on your own. And so sometimes people just think, I just need to raise enough money. And they don't really think about who's behind that money and and how that translates to the next round so from a founder perspective <laughs> trying to remember which hat i'm putting on right now um from a founder perspective as hard as it as it is not to just take the money you really have to be strategic about who you're taking on your cap table and and what they what they mean for your business and and that's really hard when you're bootstrapping it in somebody's you know, somebody potentially could write you a big check, but it doesn't do anything for you. Does that does that really make sense to fill your round with that check or or try to look at others? 
Yeah, 100%. Well, Rumi, I'd like you to, if it's if it's okay with you, to introduce us to more Web3, um, great Web3 VCs, because um, VCs, angels in general, because like I said, the majority of people that come to us are uh, actually Web3 builders, and, and we really want to have more of a Web3 investor network so that we can help these startups, you know, find the right match for them. And we're, we want to do a lot more, you know, panels and discussions with more Web3 VCs. So, so I think this is great that we had this conversation today and, and you can hopefully help us get more Web3 founders um, funded because we all have a passion for the blockchain and we all want to get more people into the space I'm here for you, Somi. I'm here for uh, your startups. Um, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and Sadie today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sadie, as well, for coming in, joining this conversation. And uh, we have a, a panel with Outlier Ventures and Delphi Digital in January. So um, I hope to see you there again. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rumi Morales and Sadie Rainey. Please be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcast so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others who you think may enjoy it.